Right, so it's quite an honor and a privilege to be speaking to you this morning. Um, and this morning, I, I love it when my husband gives me free reign to speak uh, what's on my heart. I like speaking from my heart, speaking what I feel like God is sharing with me. And so that's what I'm doing today. Um, and so what I'm sharing with you and what I'm encouraging, exhorting and instructing you all is I'm preaching as much to myself this morning as I am to you. And the title of my message this morning is Finding Strength in God. Finding Strength in God. So finding strength in God, keys from the life of David. I'm going to be looking at the life of David because in David's life, I see there's so many keys that I can glean from how he responded in certain situations. Um, but before I get there, I'm going to share a little bit about strength and endurance. Hebrews 10 verse 35 to 36 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have need of endurance. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. How many of you know that at times we have strength to do the will of God today? But then something happens and we get tripped up. And along the way, it takes us a week to bounce back and then continue in the will of God. Amen. So we have need of endurance that we can continue to do the will of God, continue to do the right thing in life. And... Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Turn to your neighbor and say, run with endurance the race set before you. Yeah, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus had the endurance to run his race. Now, whenever the Bible talks about running a race, maybe for you, maybe for some of you, it's a running race. Maybe for others, like Jimmy, it's some other type of weights competition. But for me, when I think of running a race, the thing that comes to mind is standing at the start of a triathlon. And when I'm standing at the start of a triathlon, as long as I've put in my training, I don't have to have endurance and strength at that moment at the start for the cycle and the run. I just have to have enough strength to do what I need to do to get me to that first swimming boy. And then I need to have enough strength to get me to the next swimming boy. And then the next one. And then when I climb out the water, then I have to have enough strength to do my cycle. But just the one lap. And then when I finish that lap, just the next lap. You see, Jesus said that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for today is his own trouble. In life, we can't run the next phase of our race. We have to run the part of the race that is set before us, and we have to have strength for that part of the race. Amen. Okay, so I use a particular training software app, and on, it, shows my, um, it shows my fitness level in the form of a graph. And my fitness is stable and it's, it's increasing when I'm doing something. So as long as I'm putting in training, I'm putting in hours, I'm putting in some sweat and some tears and some toil, and I'm on my bike, I'm in the pool, I'm on the road, my graph looks healthy. But if I do nothing, my graph begins to, to do this. 
And after a few days of doing nothing, my endurance and my strength and my fitness is going down quickly. And I think it's like that in life too. We have to continually do stuff that strengthens ourselves. We have to find strength in God to keep our strength on some sort of plateau or our strength increasing because doing nothing doesn't strengthen me. It doesn't strengthen me. Amen. When I do nothing, I don't increase in strength. I have to do something to find strength, and I have to do something to find strength in God. And as I've been looking at this whole concept of finding strength in God and studying David, something that has really struck me about this is David kept his heart. David's heart he kept right. Like, yes, he sinned. Yes, he did. He fell off the wagon in some instances. But at the end of the day, the one thing that I can say about David is that he trusted in God and he looked after his heart. And if I think of some of those, think of some of those comrades runners when they're crossing the line at the end of however many kilometers they've run, 89 Ks or 90 Ks. When, they, when their heart, and they've kept their heart, and their heart is in the right place, and they still want to finish, it doesn't matter if they tore a hamstring, if they've got a stitch, if they've been throwing up, if they're really feeling sick, as long as their heart is okay, they'll cross that finish line. How many of you have seen those runners, they're hobbling, and they've got one person this side, one person this side, and they're hobbling across the finish line, but they really want to finish, but they've got this problem, and this cramp, and this stomach issue, but their heart is okay. And it's like that in life. I can get a hamstring tear and I can get a stomach issue on my race but if I really want to cross that finish line I'll cross that finish line my heart is right but I cannot be injured in my body and be injured in my heart and lose hope and I won't cross that finish line even though physically I'm okay and it's like that in life too yes we have to find strength in God but above all We've got to look after our hearts because if we give up hope in our hearts, if we, if we give our hearts to the wrong things, we won't cross our finish line. Amen. So I've got a few definitions here. Webster's Dictionary defines endurance as the ability to withstand hardship or adversity, the ability to sustain a prolonged stressful effort or activity. Collins Dictionary defines it as the ability to continue with an unpleasant or difficult situation, experience, or activity over a long period of time. Tracy Joy's definition of endurance from my triathlon perspective is strength to go the distance. And my question this morning for all of us is, do we have the strength to go the distance? And if you don't have the strength now, that's okay. But do you have the keys that you can strengthen yourself, that you have the endurance to go the distance? Do you? And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Proverbs 4 verse 20 to 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We have to watch over our hearts. We have to keep our hearts because our hearts become critical when we're talking about being strengthened and having endurance to run the race of life that is set before us. Now, when I look at David's life and how God prepared him for the throne, it's really interesting. And I think for most of us who live in this time where we like things instant, instant everything. I get a word today about how God is going to use me and tomorrow it must happen. Tomorrow I must already be walking in that. Most of us are like that. We like instant everything. 
Now, when I look at David's life and how God prepared him for the throne and his destiny and his calling, you know what I see? I see that God declared the word over him. And then there was a long period of preparation. And I see in that long period of preparation that God used betrayal and he used rejection and he used false accusation as primary tools to fashion David to prepare him and get him ready, get his heart ready for the throne. And unfortunately, many of us don't know how to guard our hearts when God is taking us through tests to prepare us for what he's called us to. When we're faced with rejection, when we're faced with betrayal, when we're faced with false accusation, we don't know how to keep our hearts. And when I don't keep my heart in that, in that space, I can't strengthen myself in the Lord because I've got too many things to overcome in my heart before I can strengthen myself. And what I see in David is that every time God set one of these before him to test him, whether it was rejection, betrayal, false accusation, whatever other things, things God set before him. And some of them were really hard tests. David, throughout those tests, he kept his heart. And so when the final penultimate test came before he took his first throne in, in, in Judah, David's heart was in the right place so that he could say, uh, he could, as it says in 1 Kings, 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. That's 1 Samuel 30 verse, uh, verse 6. That is his penultimate test. And we're going to look at that a little bit more just now. That was after the test, the test after all the other tests. But I really believe that David could, he could find strength in his God because all those other tests, betrayal, rejection, false accusation, betrayal, rejection, false accusation. Through all of those tests, he kept his heart. His heart was okay. It wasn't filled with bitterness, with offense, with unforgiveness, with judgment, with bitter root judgments. It didn't have any of those things in it. If it had those things in it, when it came time to strengthen himself in the Lord, he wouldn't have been able to because he would have had all of these things to try and unravel from his heart before he can find strength. So we have to continually position ourselves and position our hearts in a place where we can find strength in the Lord, where we're not busy taking offense and now we have to release offense because as soon as I have to release offense, release unforgiveness, release judgment, I have to do a whole lot of work here and I can't find strength in God yet. So we need to keep our hearts so that we can find strength in God so that we can have the endurance to run the race and enter into what God has called us to do. Amen. Okay. So let me start. Let me start. I'm going to look at keys from the life of David. Keys from the life of David. And we're going to go through the first portion of his life from when he was um, a shepherd all the way up to when um, he became king the first time, king over Judah which is where the scripture uh, is, where he found strength in the Lord his God. And the first thing I want to say, the first key that I find from David's life is be content with where you are. Be content with where you are. If you look in, for your notes, 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 1 to 13, basically when um, Samuel the prophet has been mourning Saul because Saul is not a king after God's heart and the Lord wants him to go and anoint another king and he goes off to Jesse's house and Jesse is David's um, 
father and he looks at the various sons of Jesse and he sees the first one and by all outward appearances this is the guy this is definitely the guy who's called to be king and Samuel wants to anoint the first brother and the Lord says no don't judge by outward appearances that encourages me that means that it doesn't matter what I look like on the outside it doesn't matter what my life looks like on the outside God doesn't look at outward appearances amen and the Lord says to Samuel don't judge by his appearance or his height I have rejected him the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them people judge by the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart and so and so the prophet Samuel goes down the line of sons seeing who God is, has um, anointed and called to be king he wants to anoint this particular son and all of the sons that the father is proudly presenting before the prophet none of them are the king the, the prophet goes along the line and he gets to the last one it's not that one and he says is there not another one and Jesse's like yeah there's another one but he's out in the fields with the sheep and the goats so by all intent, for all intents and purposes, the father did not think that David could possibly be the option of king. The father, how many of you feel like that? Your father, people who you look up to, they don't see the treasure in you. That was the case when it came to David. His own father didn't see the treasure in him. But they call him and then the prophet anoints him. And the thing that is so beautiful about this is David was content with the shepherds and the goats in the field. He was content out there. And the Lord found him out there. The thing is that we have to be faithful with whatever God has put in our hands, wherever we find ourselves. Wherever we find ourselves doesn't define us. We aren't defined by the sides of this church. It's just where we are right now, but it's not where we're going to be. It's not what God has called us to. I'm not defined by how I see my situation right now. You're not defined by how you see your situation right now. God took a shepherd boy and placed him on the throne. Amen. But we have to be content where we're at. And the thing about David was that he was faithful with the sheep in the, in the, in the fields where no one was looking. My question to us this morning is, are we faithful with what God has put in our hands when no one is looking? You see, many of us want to be acknowledged. We want people to acknowledge us. We want people to say thank you. We want to be respected. We want to, be, we want to get that glory. We want to get some type of glory from man, acknowledgement. But David, I don't see David doing that. He was content with the shepherds and the goats in the field. He was content to worship God out there. And he trusted God. And God took him from out there and said, no, this is the one I have chosen. Some of us, we need to be content wherever we at in hiddenness and know that God is the one who will take us out of there you can't take yourself out of hiddenness God is the one who does that the second point that I learned from David is that private victories are always safer than public ones make sure you get victory in the place of hiddenness first because you'll need that experience in 1 Samuel 17 verse 34 to 37 David that's a bit later on in David's life and he's gone to the battle and the Israelites are facing the Philistines and there's this massive Philistine giant Goliath who's taunting the Israelites and the whole Israelite army is terrified of Goliath and David basically says who is this Philistine he's defying the armies of the living God come on give him to me I'll, I'll take him out and everyone is horrified because this little boy is saying that. But David, listen to what he says. Listen to his narrative. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a bear or lion comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. I rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Can you see what's happening here? When David was alone, on, in, in hiding in the bush, in hiddenness, there were all sorts of battles that the Lord set before him to prepare him for that time when he would go and see Goliath and the armies of the Israelites and the Philistines. He was faithful in hiddenness. He was faithful with the battles that nobody saw. And when it came to the battle where everybody could see it, he was ready. He was prepared and he could take on Goliath. Are you are you fulfilling and completing the battles that God has set before you in private? Because you have to get the victory in private before you can get the victory in public. And you know what? It was after his victory in public that literally all hell broke loose over his life. The victories that he had in private, there was no hell afterwards. He wasn't chased around the countryside by a, by a murderous king. When he got the victory in public, then the king was envious. Then he was chased around the countryside by a king who wanted to murder him. It's much easier to get battle, to win battles in private. Win your battles in private. Don't wish for the battles in public too quickly. You don't know what comes with them. And when you see people on TV and you see people like, you know, well-known evangelists, well-known uh, personalities on TV. You don't know the battles that they've fought in private to get there. And you don't know the battles that they're fighting right now in public to stay there. You don't know. So don't quickly wish for somebody else or don't quickly judge somebody else because you don't know the battles that they're fighting right now. Amen. Okay. Hiddenness is where God prepares you for public battles. Hiddenness you can't circumnavigate that season of hiddenness. You can't circumnavigate the gap between when God declared that word, when God gave you the desire in your heart, and when he fulfills that word and when he puts you on the throne, when he gives you that business, when he gives you that church, when he causes you to walk in what he's called you to walk in, you can't circumnavigate that season of hiddenness. It's really important. There are lessons that you and I have to learn in the season of hiddenness that we will need in the season of manifestation. Amen. And you better be sure that you learn those lessons in the season of hiddenness because you don't want to be learning them when you're in the season of manifestation. And you better be sure that you learn how to strengthen yourself and keep your heart in the season of hiddenness because you don't want to have to learn how to do that in the season of manifestation. Amen. Amen. Never be offended by lack of recognition. Be faithful what is it, with what is in your hand and trust God. The thing that qualified David for his calling was his heart that was developed in private. You know, as I've been studying David's life, the thing that jumps out at me was his constant trust in God, absolute trust in God, no matter what happened. Even when he was angry, when he was upset, when there was all sorts of stuff happening around him, he kept coming back to trust in God. Where do you think he learned that? He learned that in a season of hiddenness. Amen. David trusted God, he feared God, and he didn't care for the opinions of man. That is what earned him the name, the man after God's own heart, the king after God's own heart. He was obedient to God before man. The thing that disqualified Saul from his kingship and from the throne and the, his descendants after him was that he feared the opinions of man. He didn't trust God. Okay, so what's the first thing the first key, the first key is be content with where you are. If you're in hiddenness, embrace that season. Embrace it. Milk it. Enjoy it. 
You might long for it in the season of manifestation. Amen. The second key is have a heart to serve. Have a heart to serve. I find it so fascinating that um, you see this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 to 23, that when God wants to prepare David, he's been anointed by the prophet. He's, he's um, yeah, God is preparing him for the throne. And where does God put him? God puts him in the place to serve the current king on the throne. But you know what the state of that current king was? Listen to this. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. How many of you feel like you're serving someone and you're like, Lord, why am I serving this person? They don't even know you. Lord, why do I have to serve this person? They're not even walking in your ways. Lord, why do I have to serve this leader? I don't think they're walking with your Holy Spirit. Why do I have to walk with this man? Lord God, I don't agree with, the, I don't agree with this. I don't like that. Well, you know what? David put Saul, uh, put, uh, sorry, the Lord put David in Saul's uh, court in his, under his authority right in his home even though the spirit of the Lord had left him. And he put him there so he could serve and he could learn about being a king. Sometimes God calls us to serve in places that we wouldn't put ourselves if we could choose. But God in his wisdom knows what he's doing. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with fear and depression. Um, his ser Saul's servant said to him, a, a spirit from God is troubling you. Let's find a musician to play the harp. Whenever the spirit troubles you, he'll play soothing music and you'll be well again. Saul says, all right, find me a man like that. Then one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented player. We should bring him. Now, it's interesting for me that the king hadn't heard of David. He didn't know about this. It's interesting that the servant knew about this. Why? Because David was a servant, and David mixed with servants, and David was a, smelt like sheep, and David had spent time in the bush. Sometimes we, when God is preparing us for leadership, when he's preparing us for a throne, that's not where we find ourselves when, we prepare, when we're preparing for that. Sometimes the people in those current positions are not the people that God surrounds us with. He surrounds us with servants because he wants us to be a servant. Amen. And he wants us to smell like sheep and he wants us to be humble. And that's where he puts us. So he says, one of Jesse's sons is a talented harp player. It's interesting that God brought him because of another talent that he had. He didn't bring him because of his leadership qualities. Amen. God knows when he puts us together why he puts different things inside of us. He knows what he's made. And so Saul sent mess messengers to David's father and said, send me your son. And David comes and serves Saul. Do, are you serving where God has placed you? Are you serving even if you don't like the leader that God has put you under? Are you serving faithfully? Because David did, and it says at this point that Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. So sometimes in order to prepare us for the calling, God positions us as servants to those who are walking in that calling. And we can't be so proud that we won't allow ourselves to submit to that. You know, sometimes God gives us a blueprint for something that he's calling us to, but it's not for now. That happened to us. There was a time we were serving another person in another church, and there were things that, we didn't, agree, that didn't agree with us and didn't agree with how we're wired and how God has put us together and how we think church should be run. And God spoke to my husband and said, it's not for now. It's for another season. 
So we have to understand what season am I in? Am I, se am I in a season of serving? Am I in a season of hiddenness? Am I in a season of preparation? Are the things that God has put in my heart for now or are they for a season to come? Amen. We need to be humble enough to position our hearts aright in this season and learn the lessons we need to learn. At the end of the day, it's God who raises up one and puts down another. Amen. God can raise you up when it's time to raise you up. So now the, the third key that I learned from the life of David is in the face of false accusation, still do the will of God. How many of you have experienced false accusation? Yeah? How many of you are experiencing it right now? Okay? In the face of false accusation, still do the will of God. Still do what he put in your heart to do. And the example that I've got from David's life is from 1 Samuel 17, verse 26 to 31, where he's standing, the, the little, uh, little shepherd boy, David, is now gone, and he's standing, and he's seeing, here are the Israelites, here are the Philistines, there's Goliath. Goliath is taunting the Israelites. It's been like this for weeks, and no one is doing anything. And David says to the soldiers standing nearby when he sees this, what will the man get for killing this Philistine? David's, I think he's doing the maths, like, Nobody, why is nobody getting this guy? He's defying the armies of the living God. Come on, God is on our side. Who's going to stand up to him? And he says, what will the man get for killing this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men said, yes, this is the reward. And they tell him what the reward is. And then David's brother the eldest, the one who was rejected first by the prophet Samuel when he came to anoint the, uh, the next king, remember? He says to David, he's angry and he says, what are you doing here? What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know you're proud. I know about your deceit. You just want to see the battle. He starts accusing David. And poor old David, he's just in faith. He's just seeing this whole situation from God's perspective. Who is this big guy who's defying the armies of my God and your God and our God? And he gets falsely accused by his bigger brother. Sometimes the, the, the enemy likes to use those closest to us to accuse us. The people we least expect it from, our family members, church family members, church brothers, older brothers, people we look up to. Use them to accuse us. He wants to use them to paralyze us in fear. How many of you know that when you're falsely accused, often the two things that happen is, number one, you either get paralyzed by fear, and you're like, <gasps> you don't know what to do anymore. You can't really think clearly. Or the second thing is, you get distracted because now you want to justify, and you want them to understand. Come on, ladies. You want them to understand, and you start explaining. No, you don't understand. This is why I'm actually doing this because of this. And we explain ourselves, and we get completely distracted. And now the battle becomes, let me make you understand my heart, and we lose track of what the bigger battle is that God wanted to use us in. Amen. We can't get distracted and we can't be paralyzed by fear when the enemy brings false accusation. And you know what? In that instance with the false accusation, David didn't allow it to touch him. He still went. He still did what he had to do and killed Goliath. Okay. The fourth key. In the day of public battle, have the same heart and attitude that you had in private. Nothing changes. You don't need to change when now it's the season of manifestation and everyone's looking at you. The same God who delivered you from the lion and the bear 
is the same God who will deliver you from Goliath. The same things that you used, that God taught you to use in taking out the lion and the bear. Use those same weapons when it comes to Goliath and the day of manifestation. Don't try and pick up Saul's armor and wear something else that looks flashy and do it in another way. The same weapons that God taught you to use in the season of hiddenness are the same weapons that you use in public. The same heart and the same attitude that you had in private is the same thing you must have in public. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37, I read it earlier. It's when David says that. He says, um, I've done this to lions and bears, and the same God who delivered me there is the same God who will deliver me now. And know this, and I mentioned this earlier, know this, that once you have a public victory, all hell may break loose. Private victories are one thing, public victories are another. If I look at David's life, that's when the woman and people began to sing. Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. And at that point, King Saul kept a jealous eye on David, it says in 1 Samuel 18. You see, sometimes when we have our victories in public, that's when the envy starts. People get envious. And envy is the root of all kinds of evil, James tells us. Every kind of evil comes from envy. So there can be false accusation. There can be all sorts of things that come out of a place of envy. So Saul kept an envious eye, a, a jealous eye on David. And it says David would play the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand and hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. You see, when someone is envious, when someone is after you, when they see something that you've done in public, they want to kill you. The enemy wants to kill us. The enemy wants to destroy. And those spears that I'm talking about, it's one thing to, to dodge a spear in the natural, which is what David did. But the thing that I admire the most about David is that he dodged the spear. He didn't allow the spears to penetrate his heart. Do you know what I'm saying? He didn't allow the bitterness that thing of, why are you trying to pin me to the wall? I was fighting your battle. You're the king. And you're trying to hurt me. There could have been an attitude that came into his heart that even though he was dodging the spears in the natural, in his heart, the spear penetrated him. Do you understand? Sometimes we can dodge. We can look okay on the outside, but in our hearts, we can take offense. We can harbor unforgiveness. We can grow angry. We can grow bitter. And then that spear that was meant for us actually pierces our hearts, and we're not in a healthy place to find strength in the Lord. Amen. And remember this, that your closest supporters may throw spears at you. Probably your closest supporters will throw spears at you. Remember David, it says that Saul loved David. That's how it started. Saul loved David. You can be loved by someone. Someone can absolutely think you are the bee's knees, the best thing since bubblegum. And then the next day they can turn around and throw spears at you to kill you. It might be with your words. It might be with their words, I mean. It might be with their actions. It might be in a whole host of different ways. But we have to remember that we can't let those spears pierce our hearts. Amen. Okay. The fifth key that I see from the life of David. Are you getting something this morning? When you are cheated, keep your heart. How many of you have been treated unjustly or cheated of something? Okay. When that happens, and not if it happens, but when it happens, keep your heart. 
1 Samuel 18, verse 17 to 19. One day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter as your wife, but first you must prove yourself. And Saul thought in his heart, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him. Imagine. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Mahola. <laughs> so Saul is saying, I'm going to give you my daughter and you must go and do all of this. And then when the time came to give him what he promised, he gives him to someone. How many of you that's happened in your workplace? You promise something and it, pa it's, it passes you by. Exactly. It happens in life. It happens with finances. It happens in church. It happens at work. It happens all over. But the thing is, whether it happens to you, whether it doesn't, and it probably will, when it happens, make sure you keep your heart. Because I see that David didn't allow it to touch his heart. Amen. Six, when those in authority come against you, keep your heart and do not return like for like. We like to do that. When those in authority come against us, we return like for like. But we don't say it to their faces. We say it to our friends. We say it over here. We say it over there. And we leak bitterness and offense everywhere. And we leak defilement everywhere. And we become the problem. When those in authority come against you, keep your heart and do not return like for like. 1 Samuel 19, 11 to 12. Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out in the morning. He'd done nothing wrong. They were told to kill David when, they came, when he came out in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, wife, warned him. If you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. And she helped him climb out a window and he fled and escaped. Now, do you want to see David's response to this? If you look in Psalm 59, this is a picture of David's response to someone in authority, the king of all the land, trying to kill him for no reason. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, otherwise I'll just, I'll just read it. Psalm 59, for the choir director. A Psalm of David regarding the time Saul sent soldiers to watch David's house in order to kill him. This is David, what David says. Rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue, from me. rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murderers. They have set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting, Lord. I have not sinned or offended them. I have done nothing wrong. Yet they prepared to attack me. They come out at night snarling like vicious dogs. Listen to the filth that comes from their mouths, their words cut like swords. You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me. You are my fortress. In his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. He will let me look down in triumph on all my enemies. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. Can you see what's happening here? In the midst of this, in the height of persecution, he's being chased. He's being, so his life is being sought after by the king and the ultimate power. God says, Lord, you are my refuge. Even here, he's keeping his heart and he's showing us tools and skills to strengthen ourselves. He's strengthening himself. That's what he's doing. He's calling on God, who's his refuge, who's his strength, who's his high tower. Those are weapons of war. That's a way of guarding his heart. He's focusing his mind on heaven. How many of you have watched um, The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and all of 
Yeah, yeah. I quite like that. We watched that the other day. And I, and I was thinking about this. I mean, this whole story of Saul chasing David takes the fugitive to a whole nother level, doesn't it? It's like King Saul has all the armies and the whole land's resources at his disposal, and he's chasing this one man who's done nothing wrong. Okay, and this was, this, this was David's response. That must be our response, even in that type of situation. Number seven, when you face your fear to fight others' battles for them, and they betray you, keep your heart. Come on, people, this happens. When you face your fear to fight other people's battles for them, and they betray you, keep your heart. The account that I'm wanting to look at is from 1 Samuel 23, verse 1 to 12. Basically, news comes to David that the Philistines are at a town called Keilah, and they're stealing grain from the threshing floors. And David says to the Lord, shall I go and attack them? And the Lord says, yes, go and save Keilah. But David's men say, we were afraid even here in Judah. We don't want to go there and attack the whole Philistine army. We were afraid. So David asked the Lord a second time because he's unsure, possibly afraid himself. He's like, Lord, my men are afraid. I don't know if this is a good idea. Maybe I didn't hear right the first time. Are you sure? Should I go? And the Lord says to him, yes, go, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So they go. And they slaughter the Philistines. Um, and it was awesome. And then Saul hears about it. And Saul says, right, we're going to go and get David. We know exactly where he is. We're going to kill him. And David learns of Saul's plan. And David is a bit concerned because he's not sure about the faithfulness of the people of Keilah, even though he's just delivered them from their enemies. He's not sure if they're going to help him when Saul comes to kill him. And David says to the Lord, I have heard that Saul is planning to come because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul come as I've heard? Please tell me, O God of Israel. And the Lord says, he will come. Again, David asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. Hectic. That's tough. Imagine, he's been anointed king. He's done nothing wrong. He's just kept his heart before God. And now he's obeying the Lord and all hell is breaking loose everywhere. He obeys the Lord, all hell breaks loose. He obeys the Lord, he's betrayed. He's obey he obeys the Lord, people come to kill him. How many of you know that when you're doing God's will, it doesn't mean it's going to be plain sailing? I know we sing God is a way maker and he is a way maker, but it doesn't mean that he's going to make a way and there's going to be no stuff to deal with along the way. There's going to be a lot of stuff to deal with. So David hears that the people of the leaders of Keilah are going to betray him to Saul. So he heads for the wilderness with all his men and he hides in the wilderness. And the men of Keilah still tell Saul where he's hiding. And this is what this was his prayer. Psalm 54. For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time the Ziphites came and said to Saul, we know where David is hiding to be accompanied by stringed instruments. This is David's prayer. Come with great power, God, and rescue me. What is David saying in all of these things? Like, Lord, I can't help myself. I need you to help me. Come with great power, God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, God. Strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for you. But you are my helper. You keep me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put an end to them. 
I will sacrifice an offering to you. I will praise your name, for it is good. For you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. You know what's so fascinating? In some of these accounts, and I haven't even gone through all of the different keys that I get. You guys are getting the leftovers. You guys are getting the highlights, okay? <laughs> okay? But it's so fascinating because things would happen. And it would be like David in the situation is surrounded Okay, there's Saul and all his army, and there's nothing that David can do. He's got his 400 or maybe his 600 men, and things are surely going south for him. And then the Lord will do something like the Philistines will attack Saul on that frontier, and the Bible will say, so Saul had to leave David to go and defend his land <laughs> over there. And I'm just laughing to myself, and I'm thinking, David just prayed and said, Lord, help me. I can't help myself. Then the Lord causes a problem for Saul, and he has to leave pursuing David to go and attend to other issues. You see, when God is on our side and when we're faithful to God and when we learn, we take hold of these keys and keep our heart and say, Lord, I'm going to strengthen myself in you. I'm going to go through your process and I'm going to make sure that I run my race with endurance and we're praying to God. God takes care of the other stuff. He does. No matter what it looks like with our natural eyes, no matter how hopeless it may seem, we continue to pray. We continue to trust God. We haven't seen the end. This is not the end. The, your situation right now, it's not the end. Amen. You haven't seen the end. I haven't seen the end. We've got to keep pressing in. got to keep trusting God. Keep praying and knowing that for our enemies, the things that the enemy has sent against us, the Lord can do other stuff to distract that when the time comes. Amen. Okay, number eight, when those closest turn on you, keep your heart and trust in the Lord. Often it's those closest to us that turn on us. And this is the point where we find that scripture in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 that David found strength in the Lord as God. You know the context of that scripture? Basically, David had spent years being chased by King Saul, by his king being chased like a wild animal across the wilderness, hiding in caves, in, in bushes, you know, wherever he could find a place to hide. And in the process, he'd had these rejects from society coming to join him. 400 men eventually, then 600 men. Rejects, people who were disillusioned, people who had issues, people who owed money. Maybe some of them were criminals. And they came to join him. And they formed this band and this bond. And they slept together and they ate together and they laughed together and they did life together. Sounds a bit like church, right? They did life together for years, okay? David spent years with these men pouring into them, leading them, fighting, trusting his life to them. They trusted him with their lives. They would do battle together, okay? Now, at a point, they grew tired of being chased around the countryside by Saul. So David decides, let's go and live with the Philistines, the enemies of King Saul, because he's not going to chase us if we go and live with the Philistines. So they go and they make friends with King Ashish and the Philistines, and that's where they live. And eventually, the king of the Philistines gives them a, a, a town called Ziklag, where they make their home. So they're living with the Philistines, and now at a certain point, the Philistines are going to fight against King Saul and his armies. And David gets all his troops and says, okay, we're fighting with you. He's been fighting with the Philistines for the past number of years. And the Philistine leaders say to King Ashish, we're not fighting with that dude. We don't trust him. Can you imagine? David is being chased. He's done nothing wrong to the Philistines. The king of Shish actually trusts him. 
Can you imagine? He's done nothing wrong to King Saul. King Saul rejects him, betrays him, chases him around, wants to kill him. Now he goes to the enemies of King Saul. He's done nothing wrong, and now they don't even want to go to war with him, and they reject him too. Height of rejection, <laughs> okay? So then he says, okay, let's go back to Ziklag, our home. So they go back to Ziklag. They get there. And they find that it's been raided by the Amalekites. It's literally flattened. Their homes are burnt. Everything is flattened. Everything is destroyed. And to top it all off, the Amalekites have taken their families with. Nothing is left. No wives, no children, nothing. Taken everything with. And it says that, it says in 1 Samuel, that David and his men sat down and cried and wept until they had no strength. Okay? So can you imagine? He's, he's feeling spent physically, and he's feeling spent emotionally, and then, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Yo. These are the people that he walked with, slept with, laughed with, ate with, fought with, poured his life into. They did life together. Remember, I was saying it sounds like church. And they began to talk of stoning him. I mean, that for me is like the height of betrayal. The people closest to him wanted to kill him. Okay, the people who've been when it happens, happens in life. They wanted to kill him, and what did David do? Remember, he spent emotionally and he spent physically. What did he do? That's where we find that scripture. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, I don't think that David could have found strength in the Lord his God if he had a lot of stuff to deal with in his heart. But he kept his heart right before God. No bitterness, no offense, no malice, no unforgiveness. He didn't have all of that baggage to deal with. So when the time came, he learned in private and he learned through all of those, the season of being hunted by Saul. You know what? At the end of the day, don't be given to the opinions of man. At the end of the day, what you think, what you think, what you think has no bearing on my destiny and my calling. It's what God thinks that matters. At the end of the day, God is my deliverer and God is the one I trust. I don't trust in you. I don't trust in you. I don't trust in you. Amen. And that is the attitude that we've got to have. David found strength and the Lord is God. And you know what happened? David prayed and said, Lord, can I go after the Malachites? Will I get back all of my stuff, all of our stuff? And the Lord says, yes, go. So, the Lord, so David rallies his troops and off they go and they fight all through the day and all through the night and all through the next day into the evening. And they get back all their plunder. So all those men who wanted to stone him, they fought with him again. Okay. But then on their way back, the men say, no, no, no. Some of the men who were supposed to come and fight with us, they were tired and they didn't come. They can't have their share of plunder. Only us. We deserve our share of plunder. And you know what David said? No, no, no. He says that the people that remain behind to guard the, the, you know, every, all the provisions and the people who fight, everyone is worthy of plunder. And I have a question for you. Would David have said that if he was bitter? Or if he was angry with those guys, because some of those guys who stayed behind, I guarantee you, were some of the men who wanted to stone him. No, he kept his heart. And I love that about David. Last key. Can I give you one more key? Remember, our seasons of greatest testing and apparent defeat are springboards for God's purposes. Because at the height, did you get that? 
Our seasons of greatest testing and apparent defeat are springboards for God's purposes. Because at the height of this, of David's intensity, the intensity of his trial, when he's there, now he's being chased by Saul. Saul wants to kill him. The Philistines have rejected him. They don't want him to fight with them. His own men have rejected him. He's lost his family. He's lost his wives. That is, that is, that is the height of some, some intense trial. You know? I mean, talk about Job and counselors counseling him. In, in a, a foolish fashion. David didn't even have counselors. They just wanted to stone him. It's the height of an intense trial. And David then goes after and, and gets his plunder, comes back. And it's at that point, it's that's the battle, the Philistines versus the Israelites, that where the Philistines kill King Saul. That's the battle. This battle that the Philistines didn't want David to take part in. That's the battle. And Saul gets killed and Jonathan gets killed, which then paves the way for David to take the throne. Wow. So this point of intense testing was the doorway, completely rejected, height of intense trials. The door opens. David goes to Hebron and he's crowned king in Judah. The fulfillment and manifestation of what was declared over him when Samuel came and anointed him as a shepherd boy. Very powerful, isn't it? Powerful lessons for us to learn. And I just want to share a few things for us um, in closing, I want to share some spears that we need to watch out for as we're keeping our hearts. If we want to walk in strength of heart, if we want to have the endurance for today and have the endurance each day, each portion of our race, if we want to have strength, find strength in the Lord, we've got to keep our hearts. Proverbs 4 verse 23 tells us, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life, then we have to be able to identify and acknowledge the spears that the enemy is sending our way and wanting to pin our hearts with. And so the first spear that I'm wanting to mention is the spear of bitterness. The spear of bitterness. Hebrews 12, verse 12 to 16. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You see, part of strengthening ourselves, strengthening the, strengthening the hands which hang down, is to make sure that there's no root of bitterness in our heart. A root of bitterness defiles, and it defiles many. A root of bitterness also defiles my sight. I don't see aright, and I make poor decisions and poor choices. That's why it says, um, lest there be any profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. What did he do? He made a very poor decision. Why? Because he had a root of bitterness in his heart. When we have a root of bitterness in our heart, we make poor judgment calls. So part of strengthening ourselves is removing bitterness. Bitterness, I mean, remove it, yeah, removing bitterness. It defiles and it weakens. Acts 8, verse 20 to 23, Peter says to Simon the sorcerer, who's trying to buy the gift of God with money, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent of your wickedness and pray perhaps God 
uh, will, will forgive you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. When we carry bitterness, when we allow that spear of bitterness to penetrate our heart, we become poisoned. Amen. And we get disqualified from carrying certain gifts of God. Okay? Number two, offense. The second spear is offense. Philippians 1 verse 9 to 11. And this I pray that you, this is a powerful prayer to pray of yourself, by the way. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So we need to be sincere and without offense. And you know what? Offenses will come. And offenses will come probably through the hardest person to receive, to get an offense from. But don't receive it. Don't receive and carry offense. Release it. The third one is unforgiveness. Matthew 6 verse 14 to 15 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, sometimes when we being... Um, attacked by people when we're being uh, we're under attack in one form or another and there's so-called spears being uh, uh, sent against us even words even stones whatever you're wanting to say I'm talking um, hypothetically we become like the person who's doing it to us when we harbor unforgiveness you see if David had turned around and hurled that spear back at Saul he would have been becoming a soul amen he was going to be, that would have, he would have been doing exactly the same thing that Saul was doing, killing someone. Okay, so we, we can't become like the post, the perpetrator. And I also need to position myself in a place where I can be forgiven by God. Because if I won't forgive you, God won't forgive me. It's important to walk in forgiveness. And the last spear that I'm wanting to mention that we really need to be careful of is the spear of judgment or bitter root judgments. Judgment. Matthew 7, verse 1 to 2, Jesus teaches and he's saying, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Very strong words. And my husband often reminds us of this in the house. And I'm also, I also try and remind the kids, especially one of my kids, which is very, he's very you know, just and everything must happen exactly, fairly. And if he sees something that's not okay, he immediately passes judgment. And I'm like, Shh, you know, because I know I can also be like that. I can, I can make a judgment on someone driving. I'm like, what on earth were you thinking? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I pass a judgment. But I need to be careful. I catch myself because I know that maybe one day I'm also going to not see a car. Maybe I can also do that. And then... I'll receive the judgment that I gave to the person next door. Amen. The, the Bible says that it will be measured back to me. Galatians 6 verse 7 to 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For whatever he sows to the flesh of the flesh, he will reap corruption. What he sows to the spirit, he will reap elasting, everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. So be careful what we sow with our lips. Let's not throw spears at other people. Let's not release judgment from our mouths. Let's not do that because the measure that we use with others, it will be measured back to us. And then in our season of hiddenness, we're wondering why there's so many spears being, sh being aimed at me. Well, maybe you're just reaping where you sowed. 
Maybe it's not from God. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so that's it from me today. David was able to strengthen himself in the Lord at the height of his testing, at the height of his testing after years of being chased around in hiddenness in the bush by this king who was a madman who wanted to kill him for no reason. David was still able to strengthen himself and he was able to strengthen himself up to his promotion to king. And then when he was king, he still used, the, used those tools that he learned when he was being chased by King Saul. And he was able to do it because he kept his heart. So he didn't carry a lot of baggage to deal with when push came to shove and he needed to strengthen himself in the Lord. And we too need to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And in order to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we have to keep our hearts. Amen. Amen. We need to remove any spears of bitterness, judgment, unforgiveness, offense that we've allowed to pierce our hearts. And we need to continue to do that on a daily basis. And we need to continually, like David did, trust in him and look to him and trust him to fulfill the word that he declared over our lives. Amen. Okay. Would you please bow your heads this morning?